So if we can slow down a little bit, um, recognize that we're not having an optimal experience by racing around at 100 miles an hour. Um, maybe, maybe do less avoiding of uncomfortable questions about life and death and allow ourselves to be vulnerable, just vulnerable enough to just sit with it and see what happens as the feelings come. Um, and then, and be willing to look at those things. I think we do a lot at, you know, as humans, we figured out a lot of ways to avoid looking at these, these big questions of life and death, you know, food and drugs and sex and shopping and work and name it, right? How many, how many ways can a human be sort of, um, in an unhealthy relationship to experiences or substances that take us away. Whereas nature just sort of invites us in, you know, sit down and see what the bees are up to or feel your bare feet. I love to walk barefoot in the morning. Um, for me, that's a really restorative practice. It takes five minutes to take your shoes off and go outside and put your feet on the earth. Yeah. Change the whole day. special to me than to connect with people who I love, adore, and want to highlight. And on my part two of this week's drop on the Camp Fifi Uncensored podcast, I get the pleasure to continue my conversation with my dear friend Delilah Olson, who wrote this beautiful book, Fred the Monarch, A Tale of Transformation and Hope. You must sit down and listen to this conversation and get this book because it is a treasure. It is sweet. It is an observation of life and how the power of our journey here on this planet and just together is really all about connection. So I look forward to you sitting down and listening to part two of my conversation with Delilah Olson. Grab that cannoli, grab that coffee. Here we go. This is, this is what I find so interesting. We all have stories like this. Most people don't talk about the stories. In fact, there's a collective commitment that we see now among a fairly significant number of Americans to make sure that children don't ever learn that this country was founded on systemic racism. And that is that that's really the underlying thing that's happening. So we have to work so hard to keep that narrative alive because, because it's the truth narrative. Yes. That's the truth narrative. And we did walk into a domestic violence relationship with that person. And he's still abusing us as much as he can. And I would say that. Typical of an abuser, may I add. Typical. Yeah. And you and I both know about that story. Statistically speaking, which most people don't, unless they actually do the work to really understand that animal. And I don't mean him. I mean, in general. I, I completely hear you on that, but you know, this, the, the re a culture that is so attached 
to a story that is false, is it really any surprise that we're not paying, many of us are not paying attention to the subtle lessons of nature and that we're still trying to kill the plants that we don't like because we don't understand. There's a commit, I think that what we've learned in these last years with, with, a, with a violent person at the helm is that it's so important to uncover the truth and to be brave enough to speak up about it. And, and even when you get feedback from people who are, can't handle, cannot handle the truth of the story um, and are trying to squash it, that's, I mean, it, it's just so imperative um, that we continue talking about it. Uh, it's the well, only to way the out. core. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, I just think it's the only way out. Telling the truthful stories, creating the narrative that's based upon reality, and making sure that our children are given the truth of the mm -hmm. matter so that they can go forward and be change makers and recognizing that, that there's a, a, an opposition to that that's very strong that creates abuse and um, control and, you know, and that's what we're up against. We're a very divided culture right now. And there are plenty of people that would think of this little story that I wrote as being ridiculously silly and what's the point of it? Or people who would think that your podcast is, you know, they're not interested in that dialogue. They're, no. they're not. And that's okay. That's okay. Oh. Oh yeah, no, there's, there's definitely, I, I, I can speak on that initially, but I'm going to go back for a moment and say to the point, most people want to do this. Most people don't want to pull back a curtain. Like they don't want to figure out that there's a wizard behind Wizard of Oz behind yes. the curtain. Right. They don't want to excavate. They never chose to be an anthropologist, so they're not going to dig deeper. They don't even want to look in the mirror and see what they really look like, so to speak, as, as another example, let alone, you know, whether the news is manufactured or not because it's big business or whatever, to the core they're still trying to, I believe, you know, there's certain, there's certain companies I don't believe are trying to tell the truth. And there's certain companies that I think are really trying to tell the truth. And I think that we witnessed in this last handful of years, a lot of that trying to be squashed. And when you try to squash um, freedom of expression, as we know, whether you're an artist, a writer, a person who's just trying to survive um, things that aren't fair or handled fairly, you know, somebody's got to be courageous or many have to be courageous. And there's many different ways of doing that. And as just going back to domestic violence, there's no doubt. And I don't like the word victim, so it's not even something I choose to use. It's just like don't don't even don't even bring that word in, you know. But for anybody who's attempting to bring to the table the reality of what is and are not believed, 
and and you know why don't the why don't you do something about it and then you know and then you won't have that conversation or you won't that won't be your situation or then people don't understand the science of the circumstance in the mind because as you said we're still dealing with this this violence abuser as the perfect example of what many whether it's innocent children or men or women, whomever's in that abusive relationship, whatever stage of life and however that may be in their career or in home, behind closed doors, people don't realize what it takes to safely get away and to close that door and to not have that monster or that ugly head raise itself up again. And however you want to apply that story, it's layered. But it's what it is statistically. And if you do do the work, if you do science, do do the science of the mind study of that animal, you will come to realize how that animal, that person, those individuals fall into those statistical categories in black and white in copy. Yeah. And um, it only takes about five or six pages to read the statistics of the layout of what an abuser is. And, um, but that's a willingness to like, open your eyes, take the, you know, the, 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 the stuff away, the cobwebs and go, oh my goodness. And going back to your book, it's not silly. No, no. It's a very simple way of telling not only a very precious story, a very intimate, honest story. And a way of having a very teachable, authentic, again, rock in the water, as I said earlier, effective way of how a powerful tool like this. I mean, as soon as I finished this, I said to my husband, you got to read this book. That's what I said. You got to just sit down and take a few minutes to read this book because it will, it will, it will, you know, I think when art can affect you in a positive way or keep you thinking or wanting to talk about it, then you've done your, you've, you've done your part. And um, I don't know that all art that we create, be it in writing or in on a canvas or in film or in whatever form we do it has to always have that effect. But one would hope it's, I don't know that you set out to do that. I think in your case, you set out to just document your experience that evolved into, I can't speak for you, but that evolved into this beautiful book with these beautiful images, you know, um, that, I mean, just, it's a delicious book. To, it's a great book to gift. It's a great book that should be, I think, in all schools. Thank you. Yeah, and I and I hope that that materializes into that if it's not already on that gravy train right now. And I don't mean because of money. I mean because, great, take out all the books that are, are lying or not telling the truth. Then fine, start with something like, you know, Fred the Monarch. Because this is a perfect example of all the things that we need to learn from. And it starts with that, you know, go ahead. What were you going to say? Cause I think you were about to say something. Yeah. I think, you know, the, my hope with the book, because you're right. Writing a book is not a money-making um, 
it's not a money-making scenario. And that's not why I wrote the book. Um, but if it invites people to sit in nature or maybe to slow down and be more observant, then I think then, it, then it's done its work. Um, I think that we can all benefit from that. You know, you and I have talked about this before. The pace of life, the pace of life that, that is true for so many humans, and I would say particularly in this country where we don't have enough sense to take a nap in the middle of the day like the Italians do, um, is, is overwhelming and it, and it causes us to detach from sort of key aspects of life and the living world. So if we can slow down a little bit, um, recognize that we're not having an optimal experience by racing around at 100 miles an hour. Um, maybe, maybe do less avoiding of uncomfortable questions about life and death and allow ourselves to be vulnerable, just vulnerable enough to just sit with it and see what happens as the feelings come. Um, and then, and be willing to look at those things. I think we do a lot at, you know, as humans, we figured out a lot of ways to avoid looking at these, these big questions of life and death, you know, food and drugs and sex and shopping and work and name it, right? How many, how many ways can a human be sort of, um, in an unhealthy relationship to experiences or substances that take us away? Whereas nature just sort of invites us in, you know, sit down and see what the bees are up to or feel your bare feet. I love to walk barefoot in the morning. Um, for me, that's a really restorative practice. It takes five minutes to take your shoes off and go outside and put your feet on the earth. Yeah. Changes the whole day. Yeah. No, it, it really, it really does. I always make the running joke. And, you know, now it's, again, four dogs. It's like, you know, and you just do your best to avoid, you know, yes. a few little deposits. <laughs> just oh. like, I, and I'm not being gross about it. And I'm not trying to even be silly about it. It's just like, you know, get past all that stuff. And it's really interesting. It's, uh, I also found during the pandemic, I learned a lot. I chose to expand myself uncomfortably in ways that I knew that I did not want to turn around, whether it was 14 days, which I knew it was never, I knew it was going to be no less than two years. And whether you call that my intuition or my pre-med or whatever, and I'm not trying to be right. And I'm not trying to be cocky about my, my gut feeling. I, I stated it very quietly to certain people and they're like, no. And I was like, just watch this. This is not going to happen overnight. No. And there's no possible way when you've got a world pandemic that that's going to happen. So I ended up ex exposing myself to lots of different energies, good, bad, or otherwise. And I invested in myself and it, and it cost me it, it, economically, but, but in a way that I'm happy that I took those leaps of faith because it was basically like, it was my way of taking myself back to different forms of education, of exposure, which I could then say whether I liked or I didn't like, or I agree or I don't agree and what I could take away and not take away. And 
What it also allowed me to do was to evolve into uncomfortable places that, you know, the running joke is with initial people I was connecting with on social media that, you know, I didn't have time to be on social media. If I'm, if I'm on social media, I'm, my face is in the phone or in a computer. I'm definitely not doing my work on a film set. There is no guarantee. There's absolute truth to that. But when I started to do these random connections with people because of starting an athleisure business or, or what have you, um, the running joke was like, how do you plug this headphone in? You know, like, how am I going to launch a podcast, you know, that I wanted to do six years at that point prior? Like, so that was like the running joke, the things that not about me, but if it, if it could be of inspiration. Now, what I find is so interesting right now in this pandemic state of being that people think we're out of and past. Um, and don't think that I don't want to think that, but we're not in no, the sense not. of, you know, like, I mean, you know. Yeah, the, the, I, the, the great teacher COVID is still around. The lessons, she is still around. The lessons have not yet been learned, I would say, entirely. No, no. and, um, you know, it's funny. I heard this advertisement in the last few weeks from L.A. Children's Hospital that, you know, we were wearing masks and gloves long before the pandemic for the very reasons that we needed to protect the children that were sick in this environment. And we will continue to wear masks and gloves because medicinally speaking, this is what we do. This is how we practice safety and practice medicine. And I tell the story of the January before the pandemic hit that I was in my tr in the trailer I was working in and working with a lead actor and there, um, and, I, and I adore this person, but this person who also took care of him came in on an early Monday morning. And before they even broke through the threshold of the door, I knew that they were virally ill. And I gave them a look like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like you, you, you step a foot in here and you will proceed to cast a viral shadow across this whole place. And number one will be taken out and this will be a rock in the water effect. And I immediately went to my drawer and I got a K95 mask and gloves. And if you could see the amount of eyes that rolled, like I had a horn coming out of my forehead yep. and I was coming from a med uh, pre-med mentality of this is what you do because you can't get sick and you're touching people and blah 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 because I always had that in my arsenal so to speak and I think to myself that you know these are the simple ways that we show our love Yes. And our compassion. Yes. And our sense of responsibility and our sense of accountability. And look at none of us do it perfectly. This is not like, oh, well, pat me on the back. Aren't I great? Look at what I did before the fact. No, that's not what I'm saying. I was grateful I had that mask and I was grateful I had those gloves because I know how, how, uh, you know, with my own challenges of things that I've had to deal with that there's no way I can take that risk of exposure. Right. Period. A similar scenario with that. Yeah. It gives us possibly an, a greater appreciation for those who are vulnerable because, because we have our own vulnerability in that realm. 
But it also begs the question, as far as I'm concerned, what is going on with the people who are saying, I'm not wearing a mask. You can't take away my freedom. It's like, wait a minute, your freedom, there's no corollary between your freedom and the well-being of others. These are mutually exclusive things. But if you have any empathy in your heart, you will do what you need to do to protect your fellow human or other creatures. I mean, it, as a community, as a community, because as civilization, other, humanity, because every life matters. Yeah. Every single life matters. Yeah. It's a, it's a sad situation. I think that, that that's a part of what divides us as a society is the, the division between those who want to prioritize the well-being of others, recognize the connection of all, and those who are adamantly opposed to anything that they feel threatens their personal freedom and convenience. Um, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I mean, I, I, I can only speak on, you know, what choices we've made, harsh, you know, not only for health reasons to stay safe, um, but because of our careers and what's required of us. So therefore, what we have and haven't done on our days off, I mean, <clears throat> to this day, we've literally only socialized once in our home with a very small group of friends that we always broke bread with for all holidays. And there was only six of us. Yeah. outside and I started out masked it wasn't only until like halfway through and this was this is like over a year ago now definitely over a year ago um there's a lot of business events I have not attended yeah. from Miami to San Diego and all over to Utah I have not seen I have not we have not seen our family my Randy actually I take that back um, saw his family once when he went down. This is sadly ironic. When he went down to um, Houston and happened to see his mother and sister for the first time since the Christmas before the pandemic. And he happened to have been filming the Amazon concert where all those people got killed and was right in the middle of all of that. So that was a whole other you know, crazy yeah. life experience, but, um, you know, and yet I do, as I'm sure you do know people who are just gallivanting about all over the place. And, um, yeah. I mean, I even have work events coming up that I, I like, do I, don't I, do I, don't I, yeah. and, and yeah, I, it is really interesting what you get to witness about people without trying to stay in judgment. But I also wanted to, what I wanted to comment on was, I love how people, and look at, this is not me throwing stones because I, I look at myself first before I try, before I want to make these statements. But as this pandemic has evolved and as people's businesses have evolved on social media or online or connected that way in ways that we would never have connected in many cases. And I've been grateful for that ability to connect with many people I would never have the opportunity to meet 
prior or since if it weren't for technology advancements. I also find it very interesting still how people want to say, oh, well, you know, for instance, I've done a lot of with these investments, you know, people still want to put you in a box. And I have to think to myself, why do I feel bad? Why do I feel bad after dropping what I've dropped or invested? Why do I feel bad? Because I think to myself, you know, in this case of a meeting I had this morning, one person was talking about how they have a program to talk to women between the ages of 30 and 50 and all about their God and community. And I said to them, well, what about the rest of the women? What about the women who come who are younger, let alone people who lived a little bit longer and maybe have a little bit more wisdom about community and life experience? Like, well, this is my niche. Okay, but okay, thank you for sharing. Um, I come off like the person who can't be focused. I can't focus on one thing. And it's interesting about, I go back to your book. Mm-hmm. I think to myself, was, yeah, Fred the Caterpillar, we know, is, if he doesn't get eaten before he has the opportunity to monetize into the butterfly or materialize into the butterfly, you know, there's, there's different scenarios that could have can happen. Why are we as, and you as an educator, and, and this is my, my point, why do we have this need to tell people that if they don't have a clear message, then they're not going to make an impact or they're not going to be able to magnetize the money that they're going to need to make or that they're not going to be able to lead accordingly or speak appropriately. And I just think to myself, well, maybe you weren't born with 20 different talents. I think clarity of messaging is um, a part of the machine. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that if you listen to sort of like high level business conversations, predominantly led by wealthy men, eh, they talk a lot about clarity of messaging. And, you know, um, there are all these kind of rules about who gets to have the podium. For a very long time, it was never women. And even now, it's primarily not women. And, and still to this day, women are, you know, we're underpaid compared to our male counterparts. There's all kinds of ways. Um, and, and I love men. I'm not making a statement about men in general. But these, the stuff like clarity of messaging and the way that our media uh, works in this country and the way that our government works in this country has everything to do with keeping us in our place. And if they tell us that we don't have a clear message, we're likely, we're more likely to be quiet. Rather than if you if you come up in an educational system or in a family where you're taught from the very beginning, your voice is important. I love to talk with children about writing, even four-year-olds, because I always say the same thing. I always say that 
when, when you write a word that comes from within you, you're an author now. You're an author. Mm. It, you don't have to publish a book to be an author, mm. you know, because that's because they need to understand that their words matter, whatever they're thinking. And it doesn't matter if anybody agrees with you or not. For you to be able to express a thought, a unique thought, your perspective on something that you've seen or heard or read or whatever, um, that is a very empowering perspective. But we live within a system that wants to keep us down, wants to keep us quiet, wants to keep us purchasing a lot of shit that we don't need, wants to keep us looking the other way when there's abuse and racism and inequity and, and all of that. The system wants to keep itself um, stable and we, we destabilize it with our voices where we're talking about the things that not everybody wants to talk about. So there's a, a strong push for homeostasis in the system. Don't change. This is the way we've always done it. Our forefounders said this. I mean, we're all arguing about the Constitution. <laughs> it's like the, this group of this group of racist men wrote this thing, and we're arguing about whether it's contemporary. I mean, of course it isn't. No, no, it's not. And I will also say this isn't just men. You're right. There I are a lot say, of women who support that party line too. I will say in this particular scenario, this is a group of women. This is a group of women who are trying to find their niche and to be surrounded by women who are not, in my humble opinion, open to the possibility of somebody might have more of a layered perspective right yeah you, you, you know and and I think to myself my story is not your story but my story is many people's story yeah and and if I can be effective or draw in people the way I do, I'm not here to be formulaic because I'm not formulaic. Thank goodness. I'm not, pardon? Thank goodness. Formulaic well, is I, so boring. Formulas are so boring, I think. There's nothing um, captivating or compelling about formulaic messaging about anything. Well, and I think people are, people are drawn to it though, because it's like, it's like the pat little package. Here you go. Here's a belief system for you people who haven't developed your own. <laughs> Great. Fine. I'll tell you, I'll do what you tell me to do because I'm not interested in thinking about what I want to do. Man, I am so like connecting back to my little girl self at this point. And want to say to all those people, you can all have that. You can all stroke that, whatever you're stroking. I never was that kid. I certainly wasn't that young woman. And I'm definitely not that woman at this stage of the game. And even though I've been trying to figure it out, 
I think I've gotten it figured out. I'm exactly where I'm at. I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be. And I want to, and I want to, and I think I always have celebrate those individuals, keyword, who I want to raise up as individuals and whatever that's applicable to, as long as it's harmless and it's inspirational and it's authentic and, you know, accountable and, and, you know, valued and moral, whatever that means, but in a way that, again, I start with the word harmful, not harmful, because as we both know, there's plenty of individuals with lots of different approaches to lots of different things. Yeah. Can't be harmful, you know? Um, but I definitely have gotten to this place and I'm just saying to myself, I should never ha- invest in, and this is a lesson to many, do not invest in something that's going to make you feel bad. Or when you realize it makes you feel bad, stand back and go, no, no, no. Dong, 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 red, red flags. Yeah. I think it's a profound um, self-awareness when you can recognize I don't like who I am in relationship to that thing or that person or that uh, institution. I'm not my best self in that scenario. And to be able to walk away and, and say, that's okay. Change is inevitable. Wherever, you know, so many people stay in situations in which they're not happy because they're more afraid of the change than they are of the pain of staying. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's like the fire that, that has lit me. And, and this goes back to all the things we started this conversation with, you know, um, and I'm just going back to my notes, you know, energy of transformation, miracles of the unknown, being a visionary, being a visionary means that you don't have to know the end result. You can put it out into the world and then through the process of manifestation and through the process of evolution, do things materialize into your reality. Um, I certainly know I learned that from a very young age. Yeah, me too. Very young age. We're lucky. I was doing, yeah, we are lucky. And I share that because... I didn't know that plastering my walls above my desk at age eight, nine years of age would become my reality as a successful career uh, and award-winning and the kind of people I'd be working with. And that's just one little aspect of things. That's not all so important. It's just what is possible by, because anything is possible if you put it out to the world if you know imagination and, correct well I think I said that, that is I said that in the book I yes started, I started reading about what happens inside the chrysalis and I was like what yes <laughs> it the 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 caterpillar completely becomes liquefied and then these cells create this butterfly and the cells are called imaginal and my takeaway was like the, ima- the imagination is the spark of the transformation. So, and we already know this, right? If you can't 
imagine yourself in different circumstances, you're probably not going to ever be in different circumstances. Daydreaming is one of the best things a kid can do. And yet in traditional education systems, not always valued, like pay attention, you know, we'll yeah. see. but daydreaming is the birthplace of transformation. Imagine magic. dreaming. It's magic. And, yeah. um, and it's okay that the adults don't understand what's happening in there. It's not your business. It's, yeah. that, it's that child's dream, that child's yeah. imagination. That's where the wings come to, to have the freedom yeah. to fly. Yeah. And so to cool. dance in, in the, in the landscape and Twitter about. I'm really envious that you have those monarchs, you know, and of course my friend Maris in Santa Cruz, the whole thing happened because we were on a Zoom call during COVID. She's sitting out on her terrace in Santa Cruz and there are just these butterflies all around. And I'm like, I am, I can't even hear what you're saying because I'm like mesmerized by the butterflies behind you. And she, so she's showing me her milkweed plants and oh yeah, and look at all the caterpillars. And I said, I wish, I, when I was a child, we had monarch butterflies in Oregon. I never see monarchs here anymore. Saw them a lot when I was a kid. And uh, she said, well, I'm going to bring you a milkweed. And that's how the whole thing started was just like, me just glimpsing her environment and going like, oh my God, that's beautiful. Well, you know, speaking of which, so little Delilah. Yeah. What was little Delilah dreaming about? I was um, extraordinarily shy. I'm still very shy. I hate being able to see myself on the screen. I'm, um, I've learned how to be, I've learned how to operate in the world it, with people because of my work, you know, but it's been a, it's been a, uh, a process, but when I was a little child, I was so shy and I was, um, very, very blessed to have a mom and a grandmother who really walked close to the earth, both gardeners, they tended animals, they anthropomorphized every animal. Like my mother named squirrels and slugs and crows. And my gram had like a wild wolf that she fed. And, you know, so I was surrounded by these people who were interested in plants and animals and children. And um, that is, so I collected things from the time I was tiny, you know, I had baskets filled with feathers and rocks and whatever, you know, all kinds of stuff that I found. And even in my adulthood, my grandmother and I had a um, tradition when I lived in Texas during early in my teaching career, we love, both of us loved the autumn leaves and we would always bring each other leaves. And so then we started mailing each other. She mailed me leaves from home so I could show them to the children. And um, so I had the benefit of being with people who really walked close to nature and um, being, you know, my grandmother was a big teacher for me, um, teaching me about, you know, putting my hands into the soil and closing my eyes and feeling what's happening under there with the roots and understanding the relationship between what happens deep in the darkness with those roots and then we trust and trust and trust that there's going to be something that becomes visible, but even before it's visible, we tend it, we water it and we feed it. And we, you know, 
my grandmother was not a religious person. Uh, my mother was. And uh, I asked my grandmother one time, we were blueberry picking, and I asked her if she believed in God. Because I was aware that my parents were concerned about maybe she didn't. <laughs> I, said, I said, Graham, do you believe in God? And she said, God is in the blueberries. <laughs> so I was really lucky <laughs> because I had these influences that were, um, you know, just sort of like willing to answer my questions and um, lots of time outdoors um, in nature. I think that's the best way for a kid to, you know, I, that was my safe place. Nature was my safe place. So while you were in that safe place, what did you dream of becoming? Did you dream of becoming? What, what, what was it that like lit you up in addition to like, did you see yourself going down that path? Like what, what? Well, I started um, singing in choir when I was five. And I loved singing. I loved being part of the community of choral music. And so when I started college, I thought what I wanted to study, was, like be a music teacher. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I started taking care of children when I was like 10 years old. People would leave their kids for the weekend with me because I was so shy and responsible, you know. Um, and then I found out that music education was not exactly what I had in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then a friend of my mother's offered me a job as an assistant at this Montessori school right next to the University of Oregon campus. And, but I, they didn't give me the job until I spent a day observing. Observation is the core of Montessori education, carefully watching what children are showing you. Rather than figuring out what you're gonna teach, you watch to see what the children need. And I was mind blown in that. I mean, I remember just, I was 21 and I was sitting in this classroom and I was watching these children and these adults being so kind and respectful. And there was no raised voices and there was nobody telling anybody what to do. And it was just like peaceful and beautiful. And in that moment, I thought, this is it. This is what I'm gonna do. Um, so I was really blessed to figure it out early. Um, and then, you know, spent a few years as an assistant, got my teacher training and, um, yeah, in some way or another have been involved with it ever since. You really, really were lucky. Yeah. I have to say, I was to know, to know that, that, to recognize that that was your path and your purpose and your passion all combined such a young age and that you've been able to be aligned with that all this time. Wow, that's I mean, there, were, there were periods of time where I did other things um, to try to support. I was a single mother. There's not a lot of money to be made in monastery education. So there were times when I had to step away and make money in other ways. You know, I did had a copywriting business for a while. I had a marketing business for a while. But, um, but my life work is monastery education. And so since your life work is Montessori education and being that you're still young, yes, you are. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Struggling ending the big six over day. I don't know why, but I am. I'm a little bit like, 
Is it, is it, is it a marking point that has you thinking, reflecting? Yeah, I don't know. I'm having, yes, I would say that it is, um, it's interesting that it's, you know, coming up kind of in the, with all this pandemic kinds of things. Um, I, I don't think it's so much of like an existential crisis around the number as it is just really wanting to be intentional about, about where I spend my time and with whom. Um, so it's good. It's good. It's great. It's great. And it, that's really important. And I think that's a great place to be. And um, my, my wisdom only it's just, it's gonna you know just my my perspective is just go with that fly that kite yeah because you'll be perfect and great and you know I think one of the things that I learned at a very young age I think I was uh in the ages of where you were getting your early Montessori schooling administrative experience. So when I was starting the, the fashion beauty world of make-believe, <laughs> illusion delusion, <laughs> as I call it. Or, or creating beautiful art. How about that? We, we were, I, was, I was creating beautiful art. Um, Still or, putting Humpty Dump, or putting Humpty Dumpty back on the wall, however you want to call, you know. Right. <laughs> and and I, I say that with love, by the way, and I'd like to say because, you know, the power of transformation, I could channel through my eyes and my hands and create those living sculptures. So I'm proud, certainly. Um, but I would also come home and question my contribution mm-hmm. and the delusion and the, the unfortunate you know, message that we're sending our society of what's valued and what's not. Like, I think that there's health and I think that there's, and I understand health equals wealth. And I understand that we as animals are attracted to spots and, you know, we're attracted to different spots per the animal that we are. Um, And there's a game that we play within all of that. And there's the survivor of the fittest through all of that. But that does not negate the importance of all and um, or, you know, shouldn't devalue one versus the other. But we definitely have this system, no pun intended, in place of what is considered. But, you know, for each person or persons, there's a different thing that we're drawn to. So I know that in that way, you know, I know that I'm a storyteller through that. So I choose to, you know, keep it into that realm of storytelling versus the negative, the negative part that I contribute. <laughs> um, but I was taught at a very young age. I happened to, this man is still alive. He was at the time a very well-known fashion photographer who happened to come to Rockford, Illinois and drop into this indoor tennis club that I was had, um, helping manage while I was going to college. So I was, <clears throat> excuse me, 19 at the time. 
18 or 19 and he came with this couple and one thing led to another and he told me about all these Vogue spreads he had currently and I was like yeah great whatever blah 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 I was you know couldn't have really cared less but yet yeah okay that's great that's interesting and oh you should come see me sometime and I was like why would I come see you (laughs) it was such a random statement why would I come see you it wasn't anything remotely I was going to be a part of cut to literally five years later my agent is sending me to this man's studio I mean talk about foreshadowing in a story I love it and and there I am standing there in his studio and he's like, you know, I don't know that we'll ever work together. I love your work. But, you know, at that point, his career was winding down and he went and he says, and I know that you think you should be, and I was 24 at the time. I know you should be already at a certain place, blah, 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 because you've had all this life experience. And he went to the wall and he pulled down this frame piece of copy and he takes it out of the frame and he slips it in his Xerox machine, not a printer, a Xerox machine and makes a copy and pulls it out and hands me a copy. And he says, and what is this, what does this say? And there's a column of numbers from number nine to 101. And next to each number was a name. And next to each name was what they did. The nine-year-old whose name I forget was a prince that had become a king because his father had died. Wow. Yeah. And the list goes on to the 101-year-old. And he said, Felicia, what's the average age on this list? And I said, 57. He says, right. And who is that? And I said, Ray Kroc. And he said, right. And what did he do? And I said, began McDonald's. He said, yeah, that's right. He said, so I know you think, and this is my message to you. I know you think that you are supposed to already become and be the thing that you think you're here to be. But how I see you is somebody who's going to get a lot more life experiences and evolve into this being. And you're not going to come into yourself until much later in life. I mean, I think it's a, it's an evolution for all of us, right? I would not want to go backwards, right? Like I I see the number 60 and I go, Ooh, that's a good number. I would not want to go backwards for anything. I wouldn't go back to 21 or 31 or 51. Um, That's the blessing of a, of the path of, you know, observation and awareness. We're all learning from one another and life I think does get better when we can appreciate that, even though sometimes more painful too, with the the little achy hips and whatever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely think that that perspective is a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that if you surround yourself with healthy, positive people who cherish the gifts that you bring to the table the wisdom the perspective the knowledge the collective then you get to relish in the beautiful flower and butterfly that you are and that you're here to be and shine upon and show others and inspire others how to gracefully live into that as well Thank you. Because I, 
I'm so, well, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're, you're, no, you're welcome. And I think that that's the truth. And I had this theory at 18 that it was a very quiet theory, but I definitely am speaking it out loud now more than ever. Even in my moments of, I have no idea where I'm going, you know, because I really do have those, lots of those moments. And I don't think that that's a bad thing to say, even though I love this platform. I'm so grateful I've created this, this piece of art that every week I show up and keep having these interactions with amazing human beings like yourself and get to have these conversations that I get to share with others and, you know, have this connection around the campfire because this to me is like what life is all about. Um, But I do believe that there is the concept of becoming like a fine wine. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, who's so lovely speaks about that is Helen Mirren. Oh, well, no, I didn't know that, but I definitely thought that since I was 18, I'm going to become like a fine wine. I'm going to be better in my 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s than I ever was in my teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, or even 50s. And what I think on that is the difference, and I know this is going to, I find that we were born in an era where we had a lot of wisdom to observe and learn from that gave us perspective going forward. And we have a lot of wonderful humans that are coming up from, you know, birth to coming into the world to have their voices heard. A little bit of the difference that I observe is that I don't know that I in my 20s or 30s thought I was all knowing. I thought I had been affected a lot and certainly lived a lot and had seen a lot by my life experiences, but I didn't, but I still respected people who were older than me who brought to the table something that I don't observe. And I'm not alone in this, by the way. Yeah, I have a lot of people share with me. What is it? And don't get me wrong. If you're a younger generation, I just think that you can learn something from people who came before you and what we're going through right now with women alone, with women alone, where, where you and I were raised in that era where women couldn't even have their own check count. They right. couldn't buy a house. They couldn't have a career. They couldn't even use their own name and had to be Miss or Mrs. There was no such thing as Ms. And, or you had to, and you had to sign it that way. You couldn't just be like Felicia Linsky. It had to have a title in front of it. Right. And I think that this lack of perspective and honoring history, and don't get me wrong. It's not about staying stuck. It's about understanding history of what came before you to understand the shoulders that you're standing on that give you the platform and the leverage to become who you are becoming today and the voices you get to be yelling at the top of the mountain with. And look at, you know, this, when you met me, I had just come out of my first bout of cancer. I was about to go through my second bout of cancer and having now gone through four bouts, having my voice, I'm lucky. 
And so using this platform and helping others and share voices together of our experiences and have our own conversation through our own exchange is so important. This is another form of not only entertainment, but teaching. Yeah, definitely. I think that the people coming up now, it's a, it's a generalization, right? We don't want to make it because they're so no. brilliant. Yeah. But, but they're, they have a disadvantage in one way. And that is that there are so many more distractions mm. in the world of technology. There are so many different places to put your attention um, that are, can be distractions more than contributions to your learning and growth. I see that a lot. And I see that it's, I think it's an overwhelming time to be a young person in the world. It's an overwhelming time to be thinking about maybe what your, what is my purpose here? Um, I know that that's been true for my son. Yeah. Young, young adults. Um, There's a lot about what's happening uh, to the earth and in general in this country that's pretty intense and um, and and not entirely hopeful no no and like your son because how old is your son again I forget he's 20 27 27 yeah so my our our nieces are just turned 25 and about to turn 22 and our 25 year old is the top of her law school class in environmental law. Awesome. And I'm like, sister, you're going straight to the White House and changing the world. Like, I don't care, you know, whether it's the White House or whatever, you you stay at top of that game so you can really use your voice for reason. Because she she was a young ranger, a female ranger in the Northwest. That's you know, so- I like, yeah, I was like, get out of USC go back to the Northwest, get into Washington, University of Washington, go do all those interns that you were doing in high school, yeah. would be with the top people and, and pave your way, pave it in a way that's powerful in every way possible because you know about the earth because you've walked this earth and you have a place to voice it in the right way. You can write, you can speak, you can teach, you can do things with the justice system go do it. And then our other niece is in New Mexico as an artist and student doing her own thing too with the way she's contributing. And so I have a great love for, for these kids. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely do. And these kids aren't on social media. They have nothing to do with social media. No, that's really true. My son's not on social media either. Um, which is which is good, I think. Although I do because I, although I, I value my social media contacts, I have. You mentioned it earlier in this conversation. There are people that I connect with here in the online platform that I would never see in real life, or might not know, and that's a beautiful thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. I can I can I can gleefully speak on my my two female producers. Who, who produced my show for me. They're, you know, they're also in their twenties. I would never have connected. They were the ones who said, Oh my God, you've got to do a pop. You of all people have got to do a podcast. And I was like, don't blow smoke up my dress. And they're like, no, 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 no. 
we're not blowing smoke up your dress. And they were the ones who helped me get to this place. And that, and that's a beautiful thing. And I, and I honor Katie and Melissa for that. So on my last question for you, after this beautiful time spending together, and I thank you, is what would you want your legacy to be going forward over the next, you know, 30 or 40 years? What, what would you like to inspire going forward? I have a vision for writing a whole series of these animal stories. Um, some of them inspired by experiences from my childhood and some inspired by just observations now. Um, and I'm excited about that uh, as a, a point of, you know, conversation. And um, I think it's never been more important for us to remember, you know, from, from whence we come, we come from this earth. We have to remember that so many distractions, so many ways for us to feel separate from it, but we're not. Um, so I, I, I'd like to think that I can make a contribution in that way. And, you know, it's great because then I can read my books to children and that makes me really happy. <laughs> oh my God, the best. Well, again, if they're anything like Fred the Monarch with their own individual story and message, so powerful, such a contribution, such a positive legacy to, to contribute to the world in so many ways to Lyle Olson. Thank you so much. I love much. you so much. Yeah, I love you so much. This was fun. This was a blast. Everybody go out and find on Amazon Fred the Monarch, a tale of transformation and hope. It will be a great holiday gift, a great gift in the classroom, a great gift to share for people to be inspired and reminded of what we're all doing here. And next week, I look forward to sharing my conversation with, again, another dear friend of mine, a powerful businesswoman, Julie Nostrand, who I have aligned with over the last decade, that is creating a beautiful brand called South Sea Skincare that is a global brand that I am so proud to be a part of her journey and look forward to you joining me around the campfire next Next week. So in the meantime, much love. Thank you for joining. Share, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the Camp Fifi Uncensored podcast where the spirit is young, the soul is wise, and the life stories are vast. Much love, big hugs and kisses. Bye for now. Oh, 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 oh.